You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Diaspora Blues acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you're hearing us from. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. You're listening to Diaspora Blues on 3CR Community Radio. My name's Jan Shurwa and my partner in crime, Bigwa Chol, is in Ghana at the moment. Yes, Ghana, because why not? No, seriously, she's there for work. And good on her. I wish I was there with her. But I'm with you. To kick us off this week, I want to play a song that I've been obsessing over. I've been listening to it almost daily. Um, It's one of those songs when you first hear it, you instantly fall in love. The track is called Homecoming. And it's by, oh, sorry, Homecoming Queen. Can't forget the queen. And it's by Thelma Plume. And when we come back, International trade union activist Giselle Hanna joins us on the show. Be the boss of this town 
Yes, put on your crown. That amazing, amazing track is by Thalma Plume. It's called Homecoming Queen, and it's from her 2019 um, album called Better in Black. I was going to say Back to Black. Can't do that. So um, on the show today, we have a very, very special guest. I was going to do a quick spiel and just talk about how amazing she is. But, you know, I thought I'd let her do that herself. Welcome to Diaspora Blues, Giselle. Hey, thank you so much. It was a very lovely way for you to speak to me. <laughs> hey, you sound surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Not surprised, no, but thank you. Always um, flooded and embarrassed when um, I get introduced that way. You know what? Me too. The few times I've been on Arija's show, she gives me an like a fantastic bio that I don't think I'm deserving of, but I will gracefully, gracefully accept it. Um, so for those who don't know, I've known you for a few years. Um, I know you started at 3CR in early 2000s or thereabouts, um, but I don't know why. So what attracted you to Radio Giselle? It's a very, very good question, actually. I've been at 3CR since 1999, so um, a little bit earlier than the early 2000s. And I was invited onto a Comrades radio show. Actually, listeners will might know Patricia Carvellis, who now um, uh, does Radio National's Drive show. Um, but before then, Patricia actually did have some revolutionary politics and we were activists together in the women's movement. Um, and so Patricia taught me how to be an activist, how to be a feminist, and she taught me a lot of uh, my earlier politics that have changed a lot since then, I should say. Um, but she started at 3CR when she was 16. And um, when we were activists together, she asked me to do the show. So that's all it took. It was just an invitation from somebody who um, wanted to do radio and I was never interested in it as a medium. It was always just a way to talk about politics and to get practice, more importantly, in how to talk about politics 
in a way that's accessible to people that don't necessarily read prolifically about political issues and ideas. Mm. And on the show that you do, Accent of Women, you cover a lot of important topics, but in a very, I guess, tangible way, a way that a lot of us can understand. And sometimes that's not the case um, with other radio programs, I think. Um, So I've been at 3CR, I think this year marks my fourth year. I feel like an oldie, but I'm really a newbie. (laughs) It's interesting because a lot of people who are at 3CR, who are programmers, have been here 10 plus years, right? So I'm in the minority. Um, What keeps you returning, Giselle? Um, Look, firstly, so many things is the first answer to that. I mean, um, you wouldn't keep volunteering. I've been volunteering for over 20 years now. You wouldn't keep coming back if there wasn't something special about the place. So that's the first thing. There is something really special about 3CR, the community, the staff, the people that make up the place. Um, And that's one of the main reasons I keep coming back. But the other reason is that I do fundamentally believe in radio, information, alternative media as a revolutionary tool. We don't own the mainstream media. And I think if um, the events of the United States and Russia and the rest of the world have proven to us over the last uh, four or five years is the importance of information. If you've been following, if any of your listeners have been following the Julian Assange case, you'll see the... Uh, you, you could not be more aware of the importance of alternative um, and progressive and dissenting um, media and information. And so my activism, which is a part of what I do at 3CR, that, that's the other piece that keeps me coming back. Mm. And they're a complementary piece. And I love that you call it uh, a revolutionary tool because that's what it is. And I guess a lot of us um, take what we do so seriously because it's such an honour to have, like, airspace. And um, it's a good way to think of it that way, right? Um, at least I do. Uh, so during the American, at least during the 2020 American election, and when I think about it, even before then, there's there was a lot of talk about socialism being evil and even during Obama's um, reign, he there was a lot of people saying, oh, Obamacare is like this socialist agenda that's going to take over and and take away our rights and so on. And even closer to home in Australia, when you hear socialism or when you think about socialists, um, at least some segment of community think of them as, you know, like do-gooders or traditional, not traditionalists, sorry, but um, too radical and it's like implausible to follow socialism. Um, first up, what is socialism and um, what is it essentially fight for? Yeah, so, I mean, I mean it's, a, it's a really great question, um, but it, it is a question for which there is no easy answer or there's no singular answer. Socialism just means a, a political and economic idea, a way of organising society that says that production is distributed and wealth is generated on behalf of the society, so socialist. But that's there's no uniform or singular way to achieve that and socialism is break, broken up into different, further different ideas. 
And actually, I think one of the forms of socialism that most people will be aware of, that we are actually, you know, is the the dominant ideology of like the Australian Labor Party or the UK Labor Party or to, to a, a certain degree, the Democrats, is this thing called democratic socialism. And democratic socialism says that the way that you organise for production and distribution and the economy for all of that to be on behalf of the society is through democratic elections and electing representatives and, and so on. But we can see that, for well, for many of us who are to the left of that democratic socialist idea, we would say that there are breakdowns in that. So the first thing I want to say is socialism isn't inherently revolutionary. That is a tenant of socialism called revolutionary socialism and so on. So to put it really simply, socialist, socialism is just a way of organising the economy that is for the people. And then there are a myriad way, a number of ways to, to organise that and achieve that or to attempt to organise and achieve that. And uh, lots of socialists would be critical of many of the different ways. Mm. I think what is criticised more um, is the the element of socialism, the revolutionary part of socialism that actually says there is no way to fairly dis- produce and distribute and organise the economy under capitalism. So it is a tenet of socialism that says actually we must destroy the system of capitalism entirely. And then there are people who say we can do that through democracy and we can do that gently and those that say no, it needs to be destroyed and the only way to do that is by force. And then you have all kinds of arguments about how much force and a revolutionary process which is quite violent actually and whether we support or don't support that. So that is the the kind of context in which these discussions take place. Mm. Well, that was very thorough and I had plan to ask you a question about whether you could um, whether you could be a socialist in a capitalist society and I feel like you've sort of discussed that there's different strains of socialism and each I guess group would group be a good word um, I guess group comes with different approaches to how they think um, it is to be radical or to be revolutionary um, another word that you know you hear a lot about, whether it's on the Wheeler Centre, whether it's on um, even here at 3CR. So we hear a lot about the word solidarity. And I don't know, maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe this is my age showing, but I'm getting a bit kind of like, what does it actually even mean? Is it like, you know, is it the way we now think about feminist um, feminism where it started off with like a radical root and then now it's become just kind of like slogans and, um, things that you put up on your Instagram. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is um, what is solidarity, like true solidarity, and um, how do we go from talking about it to actually doing it? Mm. Again, really, really good question. And and I just want to commend you, Ayan, in you know pulling apart all of these words that have just become so much a part of our vernacular that we stop to that we fail to stop to think about them and understand them, you know. And I just think that the way that you're asking these questions brings a real integrity to um, trying to understand the struggle and trying to understand um, how best to contribute in the world. 
So to your question, international solidarity, like the word socialist, has very different meanings depending on what your politics are. But solidarity in and of itself, it just means unity, agreement, a shared um, project, a shared whatever. You know, the the right wing are in solidarity with each other in the same way that the left wing can be in solidarity with one another. So it is a, it is a togetherness, it's the unity of action, of struggle. So that's all that is. And then what, so, I mean, you mentioned feminist solidarity. Well, also, I mean, so then that would just be women who have a particular brand or idea of what feminism means, work together, band together. So Mm. it's not easy to answer in a singular kind of a way. What I can answer is what is it for me and how do I ensure that my practice is real and meaningful and isn't just... um, lip service to the language of international solidarity, of solidarity, of socialism, because, you know, in certain circles, these things have um, social currency. Uh, and so I guess for me, and, um, you know, for, for the for listeners who, who have ever heard any of my radio broadcasting at 3CR, I also do a show called Asia Pacific Currents, which is about international solidarity. I mean, I would consider myself a real internationalist. I think any struggle uh, that is an economic struggle must be international because the economy is international. So, you know, four or five years ago, we had uh, um, a dispute at CUB Carlton United Brewery, you know, and so all the unions came out and supported the ETU and the AMW and the other workers in that factory. But so that is solidarity because workers from different industries, workers from different workplaces came out to stand with the workers at Carlton United Brewery. But for me and my other comrades who are internationals, who said, yes, this is very, very good, commend commend those efforts. But also the company that runs CUB runs another company in India and the same company is doing the same thing to the workers there. Mm. And they're also doing the same thing in Brazil. It's the same company. So it is the same people around the same board table that are making the decisions about how to screw over the workers at Carlton United Brewery and the workers in, you know, I don't know where the factory was, but I think it was Gazipur in India, but I could be wrong. And the, and so, so it's the same people around the same board table making that decision. Why are we only focusing here? What is it about how we understand class struggle that means we can only see the workers, you know, who are at the end of our nose? Why can't we see the workers on the other side of the world? And so that is how... I understand and operate in relation to solidarity. So I have a political framework I work uh, that helps me understand the world, that the, cl- the class is the way that we're divided, not nationality, not by nation states, not by these artificial lines on a map. And when I say artificial, obviously I know that there are tanks along those lines and that those lines are very real for people because they result in, you know, massive wars. So I'm not trying to say, oh, the, the, the lines are made up. No, but they are, they're artificial in that they don't really designate a particular kind of difference. For me, the way that the world is divided is on class. So, so it is that line around which I form solidarity. Mm, again, great answer. And anyway, we're all stronger together. I mean, that makes 
that makes sense. And I guess that's one of the reasons I um, brought you on the show, because it's so important for us to understand things like workers' rights and understand the history and even understand the definition of socialism, because if we understand the framework, then it will help us move forward in life, right? In our relationships, in the way we consume things, in the way we see other human beings. So I guess that's, for me, one of the reasons I brought you on the show. Um, I'm very uh, weary of the time, so I'm going to try to um, run this through really fast. Um, So let's just talk about the men. So a group of men are currently being held at Park Hotel. Um, Before that, those men were held at Mantra in Preston. For our listeners who don't know what's going on, can you tell us what's happening? Sure. So, I mean, yeah, before they were held at Mantra, they were held at Manus. So this is an ongoing um, torture of these people who are refugees. So um, the the Howard government, the Abbott government, continued by the Turnbull government and the Morrison government, but also the Rudd government and the Gillard government. I mean, Australian governments can't get away from, firstly, the consistency with which they are torturing and abusing the rights of people who are seeking asylum. But we had a... Um, a solution called the Pacific Solution, where um, we built these uh, refugee holding cells in Nauru and Manus Island. And Nauru, all of those people are all but gone, and um, there are people remaining on Manus Island. So there, we we have basically been caging people in in indefinite detention. It's a long for the your listeners will be familiar with this. A long legacy of our government. Um, and some of these matters have been tried in the, um, the, the High Court of Australia where these uh, ob- objectionable decisions have been made that it is perfectly constitutional for Australia to hold people in a state of indefinite administrative detention. So people who actually can't return to their homes. So that is clear. There is, it is clearly acknowledged that these people can't return to their homes. But... It is said that Australia is within its rights to also say, but you can't come here. And often these are people who arrive on boats. So there is this um, um, this ideology that people who arrive on boat are less legitimate than any other form of arrival. Again, just as arbitrary as, you know, the lines on the ground that are called nation states. Just if you come by boat, you're allowed. If you don't, you, you can't. So these, these men who have fled war, who are, are fleeing religious persecution, um, political persecution were held on Manus Island. And some of them got really, really sick. And um, uh, Dutton, Peter Dutton said, oh, no, I don't care how sick they are. They can't come to the mainland to get treatment, to get care. After much debate and political activism, this medivac legislation came through that was supposed to allow some of the most sick people on Manus Island to come to Australia. And those people are the ones that were held at the mantra and did not receive care, even though that was the purpose of it. So we were just continuing this torture of these people. And then they were transferred because there was so much activism and political um, activity around uh, the mantra in Preston, they were moved to um, another hotel in Swanston Street. And so the struggle continues. That is, in summary, what is happening. But there is nothing new or different or 
particularly um, um, different about what is happening. It is just the long-standing 20-year objectionable um, state of refugee politics in this country. Mm. And it's interesting, not interesting, but it's very telling that we have this disdain for people, for refugees and asylum seekers, and it's odd considering how this country was colonised, that it was boat people who came to this country. And anywho, that's a side note, but I've always thought about that. I kept that at the back of my head. Um, so for our listeners who are um, interested in socialism and labour rights, um, what books or online publications should they read? Yeah, so I've been thinking of this because you gave me a little heads up that you were going to ask me this question, so I turned my mind to it. And there are a few kind of foundational texts for me that weren't like heavy theoretical texts that help me understand the relationship between us and the workers. So the first one that I would recommend to people is a book called The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. So Upton Sinclair is a communist writer um, and he was a... um, a journalist. So he wrote very um, left-wing journalistic type um, articles and then he wrote some books. One of them was called The Jungle and The Jungle is about the meatworks in Chicago in the late 1800s and it shows the migrant communities that went and worked in the meatworks in Chicago and it was such a profound and fundamental um, text that because it was so journalistic um, that it resulted in the creation of the FDA in the United States of Food and um, Drug Regulation Authority. Anyway, whatever says what the hygiene standards of food should be. So in addition to the, the hygiene, this book also talks about the relationship of workers to their work. Another book that people should read is one called Fast Food Nation by a guy called Eric Schlosser. Now, it's not quite what it sounds like, and it's very different to the video documentary that was made about it. But Fast Food Nation really does talk about how capitalism developed. It does focus on the food industry, but it also talks about workers in Ford and Chrysler, and it just talks about early capitalist development in the United States. An excellent, excellent book. For those who want to get a really rudimentary or um, easy understanding of what we would call Marxist economic theory or an understanding of how um, political economy works in a kind of fictional way, a book called The Ragged Trousered Philanthropist by Robert Tressel. Now, he um, he never finished the book. The book is unfinished and it was um, thrown like historians rehashed it but it is basically about these craft um, fixers who are working on a house and one of the guys just talks to the rest of the workers about economy and lastly I know you're running out of time so thank you for your indulgence Ayan. You Can't Go Past the Communist Manifesto by Marx and Engels absolutely read it because it um, will uh, train you or teach you about fundamentally workers power and why we have not yet realised that power. Perfect. And I was taking notes. So there's The Jungle, Fast Food Nation. I didn't catch the third one. The Ragged Trousered Philanthropist. Beautiful. And I will share all that on our Instagram page, 
thank you thank you so much for um coming on the show and you know sharing your brilliance with us you're very welcome you're very welcome comrade you take care. <laughs> you too bye Join me Aya Cry with Ubuntu Voices Wednesday at 8:30 p.m. on 3CR Ubuntu is a Zulu word meaning I am here because you are Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australian make to our communities in music academia the arts and everything in between Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices every Wednesday at 8:30 p.m. None of us are free. None of us is chained. None of us are free. Make it up, Club's 23rd anniversary festival. And that was Giselle Hanna from 3CR's Accent of Woman program. Accent is on every Tuesday at 8.30 a.m. And it also repeats on Wednesdays at 10.30 p.m. We hope you enjoyed um, Giselle's interview. Giselle is someone who we should all be chatting to and learning from. And I'm so grateful that I know her. Um, That is the end of our show. You can listen back to this episode as a podcast on our 3CR page, www.3cr.org au slash diaspora blues we hope you have an amazing week you've been listening to a 3cr podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3cr in melbourne australia for more information go to all the w's dot 3cr dot org dot au